Hello there, I'm Patrick Stroh, trusted authority and executive in transactional liability and president of Rubicon M&A Insurance Services. Now, a proud member of the Liberty Company Insurance Broker Network. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today, I'm joined by Sly Buford, founder and chairman of 10th Street Group. Based in Boca Raton, Florida, 10th Street Group is an investment firm that invests in middle market businesses in the U.S. Their mission, which is probably the most efficient mission statement I've ever heard, to help companies grow, scale, and exit. That's just right on point there. Yep. Sly, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Now, there's no pressure on you, but before we get into the 10th Street Group, let's talk about you. You've got an amazing story that's unique in mergers and acquisitions. Share with us what brought you to this point in your career. Right. So um, i like to start off by saying that I have a, a really untraditional route into the world of business, finance, and investing. I, I think everything for me started back in high school, right? I wasn't the brightest student. I wasn't the smartest student. Um, in most cases, a lot of my teachers would consider me a class clown, you know? Um, but what I was was a decent athlete, right? And, you know, as a decent athlete, I was able to earn a scholarship to, um, to play football in Montana. So I, I went to Montana. Uh, that was a culture shock, you know, the, you know, the snow, the um you know the bears mountains you know so um it was a it, now that i look back now it was a good experience but then it it you know it was such a culture shock i at least wanted to be back down in the south so i transferred six months later after the season mm-hmm. reached out to a coach who was recruiting me in high school and um at nickel state university and i ended up in louisiana at nickel okay. state you know Funny thing at Nickel State, I'm there for two and a half years, and once again, my tw- going into my going into my senior year, mm-hmm. messing around throughout college, you know, not going to class, not doing the things that I was supposed to, it caught up with me again, mm-hmm. you know, on and off academic probation, and I ended up getting suspended a week before school was actually supposed to start. I had about a week left to get off of campus before. Um, scholarships started kicking, you know, paying for room and board mm-hmm. and things like that. And, you know, I packed up my stuff um, with about $250 to my name. I bought a Southwest ticket back to uh, Florida, mm-hmm. um, was home for maybe three days. So my mom was encouraging me, look, you got to do something. You have to go off and, and do something. You just can't sit around and dwell mm-hmm. on, you know, everything that happened. So three days later, I found myself in South Florida. I ran into a, a guy who happened to be a high school football coach. Mm-hmm. He, um, you know, after talking, I find out he's a high school football coach and he's finding that I'm fresh off the field, mm-hmm. you know, from being suspended. He offered me a job at, to come on staff as a, as a coach. Mm-hmm. So, so now I'm a high school football coach and a substitute teacher, mm-hmm. preferably, you know, they had me working in the ISS room. So I was a, that ISS guy. So Wait, I'm sorry, um, what's, what's ISS? In school suspension. Okay. So, okay. So, so it was like my own self. When you get kicked out of class, they yeah. send you down. And yeah, so so I'm I'm in that room all day, every day, just Googling mm-hmm. my life away. But um, I quickly found out, you know, that I won't make it 
too long financially mm-hmm. being a substitute teacher and yeah. a high school football coach. Luckily for me, I was still doing, I still had the habits of an athlete. The you know, discipline. you right, the discipline. I was still waking up at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. I was still eating right, working out, you know, doing all these things because I was just used to doing them, mm-hmm. you know. But I started to gain this tribe of people as I started building relationships down here of mm-hmm. people who wanted to work out, who wanted to eat right and all of these things. Mm-hmm. So I just flipped it and turned it into a business, a training business. So I became a personal trainer. As a personal trainer, you know, I, I, I gained this small audience of people down here who want to work out with me and things mm-hmm. like that. Turned into a business as a trainer and renting this gym. And at this gym is where like, the entire trajectory of my life had changed, you mm-hmm. know? So, you know, at this gym is where I, I met some of the wealthiest people that I had ever come in contact with mm-hmm. at that point in my life. These were private equity fund managers, uh, hedge fund managers, real estate developers, politicians, p- bankers. So I got to meet some of, you know, the wealthiest people that I had come in contact with. Maybe other people have come in the, come in contact with these people before, but for me personally, it was like my first time hearing the term private equity or, you know, these other terms that they teach me. But those two years as a trainer, it's kind of like how I got my MBA, right? They would always encourage me, Sly, you need to get into investing. Sly, you need to learn how money works. Sly, you need to learn how banks work. You need to learn how uh, private equity works. You, you know, you need to learn how taxes work and, and all these different things. Um, so it was always lessons throughout the sessions of business or finance or investing. You know, one day I had a one of my clients invited me to a real estate development that was built, but there was there was he had some uh, spec homes going on. You know, different plots of land that he was still building. And um, he texted me one day, hey, Sly, meet me here at whatever it was, like six o'clock or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I grabbed something to eat after my last session, drove over, you know, after talking sports or whatever we were talking for about 20 minutes, he started walking me around and showing me what he was doing. And he said, Sly, look, if you ever run into a property that meets this criteria and he, you know, just ran down some things, mm-hmm. he said, do two things, write the address down and call me. I would say about 90 days later, I had done my first real estate deal. And from that moment forward, I've been in you know, finance, business, and investing ever since. When we look at 10th Street Group, okay, you didn't name this Buford Capital. Right. Where where'd the name come from? Well, 10th Street Group um, comes from an intersection of where my family's from. Where okay. My family grew up in Lakeland. So uh, the intersection is 10th Street and Martin Luther King Boulevard. So, um, you know, as I was transitioning out of um, my previous company, the real estate company that I mentioned, mm-hmm. Elite Capital Partners, mm-hmm. which was a, a, a private equity commercial real estate company where, where we bought value added multifamily real estate. Okay. Um, as I was transitioning, I don't want to say out of that because I still invest in real estate, mm-hmm. but sort of to speak, um, I think that. Everything of Elite Capital Partners was tied up into real estate. That's mm-hmm. what everybody knew it for. That's what yeah. all I was known for. That's, that's the brand. That's the right. brand. So that you, was, just pivoted, you just pivoted and expanded. Right, right. Okay. So that, that's what that's what I want to do. So I was sitting back thinking, okay, how 
moving forward, how do I want to be known moving forward? And, um, you know, I'm sitting back one day and say, every time that I, I uh, sign an LOI or every time that I sign an asset purchase agreement or any time that I sign tax documents or whatever, and I write 10th Street Group, I, or, or I write the name of the company, I wanted to remind me of where I was from. So 10th uh, Street, Street Group is where that name came from. So that, That's fantastic. Now let's talk about where your focus is for 10th Street Group, because you're going from real estate and you're in lower middle market m and Explain to us why lower middle market. You can scale on other things. Why are you right. selecting that? And we'll get into your appetite for deals later. But right. give us a little color, color this up for us on how you chose this section of, of the industry for mergers and acquisitions. Right. So um, once again, sitting back, thinking, how do I want to, you know, level up my career uh, and, and try to take what I do to the next level? I started to think, I knew uh, at that point I had bought small businesses mm -hmm. on and off, bought and sold businesses. So I wanted to level that up. One thing that I sat back and thought is, okay, I don't want to be a full-fledged private equity firm, okay. right? So a lot of times what we, what I explained about Tenstry Group is we're not, we're a hybrid between the independent sponsor and the the private equity firm. Okay. I, know, I know you say we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, but yeah. it's, I, I, I was sitting back thinking, um, well, if we raise the fund, if we became a full-fledged private equity firm and we raised the fund, I never, I, I didn't want to be tied down to whatever that investment thesis was. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So second part of that is I think the area of the lower middle market is a really neglected space. Mm -hmm. Right. It's when you think about it, out of 30 million small businesses, it's a space where a lot of these small to medium businesses, they're too big for the average local small business. And it is too small uh, or, or it's, it's too small. It's too big for the average local small business, but it's too big for your average private equity firm. Yeah, right? that's exactly. We, we see that all the time where you're too big to be small. Right. You're too small to be enterprise. You're in that danger zone. Right. In the middle. Right. And, and, right. and the, the challenge we see on that is that, you know, owners of those firms don't know where to go. And mm -hmm. if they if without knowing about organizations like 10th Street Group, they default and look to see if, well, maybe there's some strategic company or competitor out here that may want to buy me or I may join forces over at this side or I'll go to you know, an institution or a bank and see what happens. And what happens is those organizations are good, but may not have their best interests at heart. Right. And unless they know about organizations like yours, okay, that cater to this specific uh, niche of the market, you know, where are they going to turn? That's why we love having you and broadcasting you out here like this. Right, right. Yeah, these, these, you know, these small businesses, when you look at the stats, 50%, they do 50% of the country's GDP. Right. Yes. But on top of that, it's the space where uh, the least amount of invested capital is invested into. Mm -hmm. Right. There are over as of today, there are over six thousand private equity firms, even though you're not completely a pure private equity firm. But there are about six thousand of them. More than half of those firms are dedicated and, and targeting on the lower middle market. So 
you got a lot of targets there, but there are a lot of other competitors out there investing with you. And we're not even counting the independent sponsors. There are even more of those. Okay. What is it that 10th Street Group can provide to the right fit? What are you bringing to the table for companies in the lower middle market? One of the main things that we bring to the table is uh, the know-how. Other than capital is the know-how of growth and scale, right? On top of that, what I mean is acquisitions. You know, actually, a lot of the companies that we like to work with can serve as more of a platform company for us, right? So with having a solid platform base, uh, we can help with acquisitions, you know, partnerships, entity structuring, you know, it's really a deal by deal basis Mm -hmm. of what we can provide, but um, adding revenue. There are things that each business has that we may invest in one business that doesn't necessarily provide the same value for the next business, so to speak, right? So like I mentioned, other than capital, we bring a host of of things, um, acquisitions and, and partnerships in. And, and having that that know-how of either growing vertically or growing horizontally. So just different things that the average business owner doesn't think about when it comes to growth and scale. Uh, because a lot of times these businesses, uh, even though they're profitable, the business owners been stuck for the last three, yeah. four, five years. And the business has been around for 15 years and they've grown it up until um, that point. But it's strategically how do they uh, how do they get the company to the next level? So yeah, that's what we like to bring to the table. And, and not to steal your words, but I when we talked earlier. This was really struck me because you just said, Patrick, capital's not the problem, right? Know how is the problem, and right. if you're in a manufacturing business or whatever business service operations, you know those functions and you know that market and you know how to do it. But the idea of growth through acquisition. You don't know about acquiring who, right. how, how would that work? That's where you come in and bring bring that to the table. That's skill set, and you're right. at the at the level where you're doing these smaller deals, so you aren't competing against the Black Rocks and the Goldmans right. and, and you know Silver Lake and so forth. You're right. out there in an area where you can actually be hands on helping, and right. and I think that's really essential. Are you dealing largely with owners and founders that want to stay on or they just want to get bought out? Um, deal, it's a deal by deal okay. basis. Okay. But um, what we prefer is the owner to stay on. Okay. Right. The reason is because, well, there are plenty of reasons, but one of the reasons is because uh, number one, the owner knows the business better than, any anyway. one of us, yeah, any, any one of us can, can just step in and run the business. Mm-hmm. Two is uh, we want them to take the ride of growth and scale along with us. Yeah. But I think uh, another important point to that is in order for that to be successful, we have to have the owner think like an investor. Mm, yes. Right. I think that's a, a, a point where a lot of times that's missed. And I think what works for us is right before a deal is signed or some sort of partnership mm-hmm. is signed, I like to have that heart to heart with the owner mm-hmm. to say, hey, okay, so here's what we've agreed on. In order for this to be successful, we put the playbook together. In order for this to be successful, 
we're going to eventually have to have you transition your mindset from uh, thinking like an operator to thinking like an investor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times this cuts out the friction mm-hmm. when they know this from the very beginning, like, hey, there's some things that we're going to do where um, you may not fully understand why or, or you may be against it instead of having the document signed and we get into the business and we start trying to transition this, transition that. But you're met with friction of, hey, I've been doing this the same way for 20 years. Like, why are we doing this now? Mm-hmm. You know, well, because of X, Y, Z. Well, I try to prevent that from happening by having a conversation beforehand to say, hey, look, you're going to have to transition from thinking like an operator to thinking like an investor. Mm-hmm. Here's how an operator thinks. You know, they worry about how many cups in a coffee shop. They, they, they worry about the, the inventory. They worry about who's opening and closing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's thinking like an operator. Yeah. Thinking like an investor, what we want to do is we're going to be thinking about acquisitions, partnerships, uh, investors, capital. We're, we're trying to, to transition that mindset. And I think that that's what was one of the most important things that goes along with the transition. Okay. No, I think, I think that's, that's spot on, which everybody needs to know. And that's nice that it's done up front as opposed to somebody who's just trying to, you know, cold call and do a broker right. deal and, and so forth and, and, and go uh, in that direction. Give us a profile. What's your investment target? I mean, industry, size is us based right any other profile that you can outline for our listeners yeah so typically what we're aiming for is what i like to call the lower end of the lower middle market right so okay. um these are companies doing anywhere between five hundred thousand to five million or so in uh profit or okay. EBITDA, or doing uh a million to 25 million in revenue okay right so a combination of the two, maybe lower, maybe higher, you know, all depends on the deal. Okay. Um, uh, we're industry agnostic, right? Yep. So we're not tied to one a specific industry. And I like it that way, mm-hmm. right? Um, like I mentioned before, if we were to take the, the private equity, the complete private equity route, you know, once you raise that capital, you're tied in for those five or seven years, you yeah. know? So we're industry agnostic. Growth potential, the business has to have growth potential, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I think tying back in that that growth mindset of the the operator, right? Okay. Because if they don't have a growth mindset and, and they actually want to grow, then it, it, it wouldn't work out. But, it, it, but as far as like management, uh, we want management to stay on, okay. preferably have a, a, a solid management team. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the deals that, that we're looking for. I, I would say also we're not we're not heavy, heavy, heavy into uh, technology. Okay. And what I mean by that is we're not looking. We invest in technology, right? We're, we're, I'm getting ready to sign a deal with a software development company mm-hmm. um, where uh, we'll be investing directly into uh, software companies, helping mm-hmm. software companies grow and scale, right? Mm-hmm. But um, what I mean by you know, heavy technology is we're not looking to invest in technology that's like going to change the world, right? Gotcha. That has some, that some, you know, nothing, some brain power change in technology where they're going to exit to Google for a bill. For you're, a yeah, you're not dollars. looking for a unicorn or anything. Right, like right, right. Okay, right. no so, no manufacturing, no no technology manufacturing, no unicorns. That's right. a, that's right. that's not the worst, that's not the worst position to be in. I think right. your, your options are still wide open. Now right. I'm curious, 
where uh, there's been a, a big surge in uh, accelerating mergers and acquisitions, particularly in the lower middle market, has been uh, a product called reps and warranties insurance. And what that does is it takes a lot of the risk away from the deal parties where rather than the seller having to be on the hook for buyer's losses post-closing because of a breach of the seller reps, okay, the seller can get a clean exit because what they do is they take those reps, get them reviewed by an insurance company. The insurance company looks at the buyer's diligence, says, okay, for a couple bucks, we'll take the risk. Buyer, if you suffer loss, don't go to the seller, come to us. And, and that has taken a lot of the pressure off of deals. Uh, until recently, these products weren't available for deals under $20 million in enterprise value. So a lot of them may not have been around uh, in a little while, but you know, it's been a great accelerant. It's been wonderful, but don't take my word for it. Slide, good, better, and different. Explain any experience you've had with rep and warranty in your MA experience. Reps and warranty, uh, the insurance part, zero action. Mm. So, um, I mean, obviously we dealt with all types of insurance in different uh, businesses or, or industries. But as far as um, that specific uh, insurance, none whatsoever. So well, this is this um, is why we're glad to have you here because that's the area now that uh, up until recently, if a deal was under twenty million dollars, either was not eligible for insurance or if it was eligible, it was subject to really expensive due diligence. You had to get legal memos, you had to get audited financials or quality of earnings, and, and all of these really costly uh, inspections and so forth. Now right. there are products out there, and one of them is a sell-side policy called TLPE from CFC Underwriting. And what TLPE does is it takes the seller's information from the seller, they fill out an application, and for as little as twelve dollars to $20,000 per million dollars in coverage, yeah. a seller can get up to $10 million of their enterprise value insured so that the buyer who can't get a buy-side rep and warranty policy can simply say, seller, get the policy. If there's a breach, we're going to put a claim under your policy. We get paid that way. It, right. it impacts the escrow requirements. It impacts the cost. And it really accelerates the negotiation process between the attorneys. And so that's why I'm thrilled to be meeting uh, you know, organizations like 10th Street Group, because as you're getting these smaller deals, you could get a lot of friction in the negotiations. And right. this could be one way that works around that. Right. Yeah, we definitely have reps and warranties in the contracts, mm -hmm. but on the insurance side, we never pull the trigger on um, insuring those reps and warranties. So well, that's why it's fun having you because then now yeah. we can we can maybe have that conversation as things go Most on. Most definitely. Most now, definitely. As, as we're coming through, we're we're up, you know, we're uh just past the midpoint of the year. You know, mm -hmm. what do you see? In, in the, the months ahead between now and 2023, what trends either for 10th Street Group or M&A in general do you see out there? As I've been in m and I've started to see a train of people step down to the lower end of the lower middle market, like I said, okay. to implement the you know, whatever their strategy is to build and grow mm -hmm. and scale a company to deliver to a private equity firm, mm -hmm. right? Because that's what we do. Right. Yep. We we, we want to grow and scale and we want to deliver an optimized, profitable revenue generating company to a private equity firm or strategic buyer. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I've seen a lot 
specifically the last year and a half, I've seen a lot of people say that, you know, they want to, um, they're opting out of the traditional private equity route to wanting to grow and scale a company to deliver to, to a private equity firm. And that's mainly because of the $2 trillion uh, that are looking for deals, yep. right? Mm-hmm. The $2 trillion that are looking for deals um, with 30 million small businesses and baby boomers owning half of those and they're uh, reaching that retirement age, yep. they're, they're seeing an opportunity to, I mean, it's a great opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it, one of the trends that I see is people taking advantage of that. I don't disagree. I think that a lot of private equity firms don't write, want to write a bunch of tiny little checks. They'd right. rather write bigger checks or medium-sized checks for bigger bigger firms. You're not going to need to hold on to something for seven years. Right. You can get it small and, and, I mean, literally tiny. You can amp that up. And having a 100 200% growth on a right. small investment is a lot easier when you're under 10 million than when you're over 100 million. And so the pathway is easier and you're going to do as we do with ensuring the lower middle market volume. And I I think that, I think that's a very solid approach. I really appreciate this. Now, Sly Buford, how can our audience members find you? They can go to 10thstreetgroup.com, you know, find out more about 10th Street Group and and what we do. Uh, That's 10th, T-E-N-T-H streetgroup.com. Um, you can email me directly. I'm not, you know, I'm not Warren Buffett. I'm not difficult to get in contact with, you know, so you can email me at sly at 10thstreetgroup.com. Um, you can call my office. Uh, the my, You know, all of my information is on, on the website. Okay. Uh, I also have a personal brand, you know, where I'm, you know, trying to push out just information on investing, growing businesses, scaling business, exiting, and things like that. Um, well, you can just go to my website, slybuford.com, my name. And uh, yeah, so that's pretty much all the ways you can find me. Well, I'll put a plug in for LinkedIn. That's actually how you and I met. And it yeah. was on an announcement, a post of the successful deal you had and some other things and was uh, captivating. And I'm, I'm thrilled we met and it's going to be great because I think we're going to be doing uh, more talking together. Sly yeah. Buford for 10th Street Capital Group, or excuse me, 10th Street Group. Thanks again for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.